Welcome to Brands in Action, the podcast that asks the questions every brand should be asking. Today, we welcome Jenny Bonchak, founder at Slingshot Coffee Company, Needs and Wants. In 2012, Jenny Bonchak sold her car to start Slingshot Coffee Company in a pursuit to craft better, more exciting coffee experiences for people everywhere. As a national award-winning barista and a veteran of the specialty coffee industry for more than 13 years, she turned $5,000 from the sale of her 2005 Subaru into a pioneering, nationally recognized cold coffee brand that brings a unique story and category building products to life that don't make them just another cold brew brand, but distinctly Slingshot. In 2021, Jenny launched a sister brand to Slingshot called Needs and Wants, a first of its kind sparkling superfruit tea with a 100% women-led supply chain. Jenny is a three-time award-winning barista, Southern Living's 2016 Entrepreneur of the Year, and a fellow for the 2018-19 class of Coca-Cola's Founders Forum. She's also the recipient of the inaugural 2019 Sprudge 20 Award, presented to the 20 most influential specialty coffee professionals around the world. And that is a bio, my friend. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much, David, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I was just saying this before we started, but um, you just have the coolest thing going <laughs> in the Southeast. I, I kind of feel a little bit like local pride. I've got the local <laughs> pride where, you know, I kind of watched you guys come out of nowhere. Yes. Your branding is completely badass. It's really beautiful. It's an attention to craft and detail, oh. but it just says so much about how you approach everything you're doing. And I always, you see packaging like that and you go, the product's got to be great. <laughs> and I drank a lot of your coffee. I don't drink coffee anymore, which is crazy. I had to stop drinking coffee. But um, your coffee was incredible. And, <laughs> and I moved and I had your teas for a while too, your Cascara teas. Mm -hmm. So I, we're going to talk about all of this stuff, <laughs> but it's been really fun to just watch you turn this thing into really what I think of as a juggernaut. I don't know how it feels to you, but <laughs> talk about that. Well, thank you so much. I am so grateful for that kudos tonight. Um, you know, I think the best compliment I can ever get is when people just can, they can just feel how much work <laughs> goes into yeah. it just by looking at it and, and tasting it. And then I feel like I've done my job. <laughs> and yeah, so a juggernaut, let's see. How does that word feel to you? Do you feel like a juggernaut? I feel tired. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I want to say you you uh, you answered an email for me last night at three fifteen a.m. I did. I did. Is that your is that your life? <laughs> that is my life. I actually have insomnia, so uh, got it. I'm typically awake. My witching hour is usually about three to five, and my alarm is set for five thirty. So typically, yeah, you're getting up anyway. I get up, and sometimes I'm able to catch maybe like another hour or so before I yeah. really go into the office. But um, yeah. <laughs> that can be very productive time, I have to say. It can be. I I actually do think pretty clearly. I've always been a morning person. So yeah. it doesn't bother me to wake up early. In fact, I like to wake up early. I mean, three o'clock is a little early. Yeah, that's a, there's there's early and there's... Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm heartened that you woke up to answer that email, not... <laughs> Answered the email and then went to bed, and now you're on the you're on a call like four hours later. So <laughs> well, I had brutal. a little bit of coffee this morning, so that's good. I'm drinking and needs at once right now. So yeah, I'm at least caffeinated and alert. <laughs> well, talk about the story. Tell everyone about Slingshot into needs and wants, and and kind of what you've 
why and where you started this? So I grew up in a town of 636 people in Northwest Pennsylvania. I grew up on a 300 acre fruit and vegetable and flower farm. And my job, (laughs) well, when I wasn't working on the farm, my job when I was 14, um, I got a job at my friend's grandparents' diner in town. That was my first experience with coffee. It was brewing, you know, that shitty Folgers on a bun brewer (laughs) in a glass. It just sits there and burns. Yeah, just sits there and burns. Uh, My parents don't drink coffee. They don't like coffee. So I never grew up with that. Um, But what was always interesting to me and curious to me was these groups of old men essentially would come into the diner and they would sit there at the counter like clockwork. I mean, coming in same time, day after day. They would order a cup of coffee. They would leave a 10 cent tip. Mm. Here, darling, here's your. (laughs) So it wasn't so much, you know, kind of the the coffee, obviously, but it was an interesting kind of ritual that I had been exposed to that I'd never been exposed to before. So I went to college. I went to the University of Pittsburgh. And like a lot of college students who are going off to maybe the big city for the first time was my first experience with like an independent coffee shop. And it was called Kiva Han in Pittsburgh. And it was just different. And so it was maybe not something I was used to, but it was, you know, the experience was just a very curious one for me. And so um, I met my husband in college and he actually put himself through college as a barista. And as we kind of just, you know, dated, we just kind of both got into especially coffee more. Um, He had, you know, to learn essentially because of his job. Um, but it was interesting. And so we sort of came up, you know, through it together in a way. Um, but one of the things that I had discovered in college was I loved iced coffee and I could never get an iced coffee that tasted good. Yeah. And so as I learned more about coffee, not only did I learn more about origin, but I learned more about the science. I learned more about brewing science and I just started making my own. So, um, we got married, we moved to North Carolina I actually decided that I wanted to work in advertising. My husband actually couldn't find a job when we first moved here. And so he just continued his coffee career. And so I was like, well, I really miss doing that too. So I will get a part-time job. And so I did some like part-time barista training and things like that. So I just really got the itch, I think. I mean, growing up where I did and growing up in a farming family, those are like the ultimate entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, yeah, indeed. And so I just was, I feel like I was ingrained kind of with that. And it's just kind of always been in my soul and in my blood to be an entrepreneur, to have, you know, my own business. And as I was experiencing different places in the country, and as I was experiencing a kind of a newfound growth in my interest in coffee, it just was something that continued where I could not get a really well-brewed black iced coffee anywhere. You know, Starbucks had their frappuccinos and, you know, laden with sugar and ingredients that didn't make sense. And it just wasn't normal to me. me. And I wasn't really a consumer products kind of person. You know, I had brands that I went to, you know, and that brands that we use, but also growing up the way I did, I mean, 
we bartered with friends for things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it may as well have been like Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> so it wasn't That's like my parents had like brand loyalty and stuff. So I did, I just wasn't exposed to that very much. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it was just an exciting, you know, journey for me. And then one day I was like, I want to do this as a job. I want to do this as you know, something that I own and that's mine and I can do this really, really well. (laughs) So that's sort of how it began. When I started in 2012, Slingshot was started in the back of a restaurant kitchen. I mean, commissary kitchens were not a thing at that point. Um, So I went to a local restaurant owner and I said, hey, I make this really amazing iced coffee. Would you like to have it for brunch on Sundays in an exchange? Could I work out of your already FDA approved kitchen? Yeah. And he yeah. was like, that sounds weird, but sure. <laughs> yeah. What can you do? You want to say who it was? Yeah. Wanna, it was simply wanna... Chad McIntyre when he owned um, Market Restaurant, which is now Stanberry. Yep. yep. The amazing yep. Stanberry. So, which I just had last week that was absolutely, utterly amazing. And I feel like nobody talks about that restaurant enough. But anyway, I digress. It is incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. So, but Chad was like, unfortunately, you can't work here during the day, obviously, because we're prepping and the restaurant opens at five. So he's like, but you can work after hours. So I would go to my day job. I would, you know, leave work at five. I would go to a storage locker, pick up bottles, pick up labels, all these things that I didn't have a place for. I would haul them to market around 1030 at night. And that's when I would start working and I would work through the night until I basically just couldn't keep my eyes open any longer. And then I'd go home and do it all again. I remember talking to you way back then during that time (laughs) and just being blown away by (laughs) By the insanity of it all. (laughs) By the pursuit of passion. And also, I think you're, I didn't know this about the farm, but I will say this. I grew grew up in a farming family as well, though I did not live on a farm, but my mother's side of the family is all farmers. And what is, I think, really interesting about that lifestyle is the work ethic is the lifestyle because you will die if you don't work. Yes. And so it just gets ingrained in you. And I I have a lot of people ask me, like, you're you're always working on lots of stuff. And I don't even think about it as that. You know, I, yes. And I like to hear that from other people because I honestly feel like I get a lot of shame for that. And I find it very rewarding, very enjoyable, you know. My husband's always like, he's like, don't you want to do something for you today? And I'm like, yeah, sitting down and actually doing some creative work for the business is doing something yeah. for me right now. Like I, I really love doing that. And so, and when I, when I want to express that, I think a lot of people see that as me trying to kind of promote hustle culture, which is yeah. not it at all. I'm just expressing yeah. what I actually really love doing. I'm not trying to get sympathy points. I'm not trying to get people to say, Oh my gosh, you work so hard. Like, no, this brings me so much joy. I love it so much. It's interesting that you say that about hustle culture, because I think hustle culture is bro, I'm crushing it on my dreams today. And if you don't do that, you're not only a loser, I will fire you. Or there's a toxicity to that, that you do not have. You just don't have that toxicity in you. So I hear about that a lot from a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs as well. And I'm the same way. I, I do so much stuff. I never feel like I'm working. The only time I feel like I'm working is if I'm doing something I don't want to do. Yes, that is very true. That is very true. This is probably a podcast for a whole other time, but. <laughs> we might have to have a second episode. <laughs> I, know, I think maybe. 
I have a really hard time with LinkedIn and the entrepreneurial culture on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I think that that is, that is not necessarily a hustle culture per se. I think it's a whole other thing. I want to unpack that real quick because this is, this is, this podcast is for marketing people, CEOs, founders, people are creating brands. And I think this is actually a really helpful conversation. Okay. And we can talk about the brand and the marketing in a little bit. And, sure. and we, I have time if you have time, but I have time. I'd love to hear your thoughts on LinkedIn. Go talk about it. So I think LinkedIn, you know, has some really incredible opportunities there. And I think there's wonderful opportunities to celebrate other people, yeah. wonderful opportunities to learn from things. I mean, I've read some really incredible articles that I've only ever found on LinkedIn mm -hmm. um, that people are sharing. It, it can be the same thing that any kind of social media type platform can be. It, it can be really rewarding, but at the same time, it can be just like every other social media yeah. platform where it is yeah. really demeaning. It can be just a hard place to be and an experience. And I think for entrepreneurs especially, and I think this could potentially you know, affect women, I think more than potentially affecting men, but just simply because of the rate of you know, funding for women, yeah. it's not necessarily a hustle culture that I think is happening there. I, I think what's happening is a culture of not enough. Yeah. And so I think that it can really, it can really affect mental health in so many ways where, yeah. you know, you are on there trying to, you know, promote your business or, or promote yourself or, you know, celebrate something that you are excited about. And then you're kind of looking at all these other people who you admire and you follow and you are interacting with and you're just like, oh, I'm not nearly as far along as I should be. Right. Or I'm not nearly where this person is. And how did this person get this? How do they have that? And I don't have that. How do I have this? And they don't have this. Like, it can be just a cluster of emotion. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a toxic stew sometimes, but not in a hateful way, but in a people we we all and we all do it. We all project the hood ornament of ourselves, not the ourselves. You don't ever see the car. Yeah, you, don't, yeah. you only see the hood ornament and go like, that's eh, pretty handsome hood ornament. That's pretty cool. You know, I got to know a company in the UK, actually, who started a cold brew company after we did, but they reached out and were always just so excited about what we were doing. And they were so inspired about what we were, you know, how we were doing things. And we really got to be friends with them. It was a brand in the UK called Sandals, started by two guys who were baristas. So they had, you know, the experience and just really smart, interesting branding. And you could tell they were just yeah. clever yeah. and they didn't make it. You know, yeah. and most brands don't. Yep, um, right. We didn't make it. And they had, you know, they were seemingly doing everything right. And um, Hugh, one of the founders, he basically showed up, I guess this must have been like end of 2020-ish, after they had shut down and they'd been shut down for a few months. And he was like, I think we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I think we need to talk about the vulnerability that is necessary in being able to discuss failure, in yeah. being able to discuss why some brands aren't making it. It was amazing, you know, and you especially don't really hear that, I think, coming from a lot of men. Yeah. And so I I already admired them, but I I just had so much more admiration, you know, for Hugh, especially for really wanting to dive into that and doing it on a platform like yeah. LinkedIn. 
and being able to be vulnerable in a space like that, that's usually, you know, a bit of a puffed up chest kind of place to be. And I'll bet the reaction was amazing, right? It was. I mean, as far as, you know, what I could see in my kind of limited connections that I had with him, but he was interviewed on a couple of podcasts after that and things. And it amplified the admiration that I already had for him and for yeah. them and for what they had accomplished and what they had done to even get started. People don't even realize how much work yeah. you put all this work into starting and you go, whoo, I start. Oh no, here we are. Now we're starting. I mean, obviously I wouldn't have these feelings about LinkedIn if I personally didn't have these feelings about LinkedIn, yeah. right? I mean, I experience this basically every time I'm on there. I'm just like, how the yeah, F yeah. did this happen? How the F did this not happen? Like, I mean, just, it yeah. makes you want to jump up and down, but it makes you want to like crawl in a hole all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to think even how I might be contributing to that with the stuff I post. I mean, I don't ever post when well, I screw up, <laughs> you know, I screw and, something yeah, up. Yeah, so. and that's not human nature to want to do that. Human nature yeah. is to want to protect yourself. And that, that's understandable. Yeah. It's probably something that I, I think is maybe like a, um, it's like a sub thread on Reddit <laughs> that you know, maybe needs to become a little yeah, bit more right. mainstream in discussion. But I think it's so hard and um, gosh, I'm like going yeah. all over the place. But if you're familiar with Kindred Restaurant in Davidson, North Carolina, um, one of the founders, Katie Kindred, I just think she's just such a stellar human. Um but she writes these lunchbox notes to her kids every day before they go to school. And she posts some of them on Instagram. And I absolutely love them because I'm like, these are not just applicable to like your kids. Like you're teaching your kids to be able to go yeah. on LinkedIn essentially and be able to be there with a completely neutral sense of mental health and healthy mental health and say like one that she posted yesterday she was yeah. like you should celebrate things that other people are doing it doesn't take away from any of the celebrations that you are doing it doesn't take away from any of your uniqueness it just makes you a better friend and you know things like that that i'm just like oh my god this is like words to live by but it's kind of you know what happens on linkedin like you know it would be so amazing to just go on there and be able to celebrate absolutely everything but i do think that takes you know, some strong yeah. mental health and it takes some discipline. It takes some of your own, um, it puts some of the onus on you, I think, to to kind of try to build your, your sense of confidence to do that. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not very yeah. articulate on yeah. this issue because I- You're pretty articulate. I, that's pretty, <laughs> I think that's a very well stated articulation of something that I under, that I see but haven't fully understood. I think there is a lot to understand here still. Like yeah. I'm just yeah. starting to really I think experience these feelings and so I'm trying to kind of unpack it myself. <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I do think there's still a lot to explore just in the general concept of of what happens and how it affects mental health and I think especially mental health of entrepreneurs. The old quote from Howard Gossage which was uh I don't know who discovered water, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a fish. <laughs> and it is, you can't see your environment when you're in it. You're not aware of it. Yeah. And we're not going to know what the impact of social media is for 20 to 30 years looking back. I don't think, I, you know, and I mean, in every sort of realm, it is fundamentally changing everything yeah. and not necessarily for the better and maybe most definitely not for the better. There are some good things about <laughs> it, but I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I wasn't starting my career at 22 or whenever I started having to deal with Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and all these things, because I would have done so many dumb things. I, would have, I wouldn't have a career. 
you yeah, know? I dumb things, but also just not being able, I, I think, to really dig into your environment because yeah. it, it's yeah. almost a requirement, you know what I mean, of living life at this point. And that is a whole other thing, the whole disconnection thing. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, I, I, I maybe we should have a separate episode about this and have a couple but, of people on. It'd be kind of an interesting conversation. Julia Bainbridge, who um, is a former editor at a large food magazine. Um, she wrote a book recently called Good Drinks, and she was really kind of on the verge on the tip of the iceberg for kind of like the non-alc sort of spirit-free movement. And she's just brilliantly creative and stuff. But she has this podcast. Well, she had this podcast. She's had it for years that explored the concept of loneliness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think that's also just a huge piece of like, interesting to be able to discuss along with social media that oh god it's there's so much <laughs> but i but if i can also now put that back on being a founder yeah. of a company so there is a tremendous <laughs> no no but there's a tremendous loneliness there i think talk talk a little bit about that for you yeah i think that being an entrepreneur is daily profound loneliness to be quite honest yeah. um yeah i think that you have to be a certain type of person clearly to be an entrepreneur. If if it was easy, everybody would do it. And yeah. I need to maybe preface this too by saying that I struggle with the term entrepreneur. I do too. I mean, and this obviously is a reflection of how I grew up, but I don't think that when you kind of start from a position of advantage, you go through the same things that people go through when they don't start from a position of advantage. Yeah. I know um, that because of that experience, it can really blur the lines of what the definition of entrepreneur really is. Well, you know, there's a, there's a whole world of entrepreneurs who do start with lots of money that are at yeah. P&E companies and that they don't have to worry about any of this. You're, I, what I love, what you're talking about is sort of self-funding, self-starting, bootstrapping entrepreneurs. I mean, let's be honest. It's really, really hard. I mean, that's what we did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's really hard. And, and I think on top of that, you then have how many entrepreneurs, and I feel like we have certainly been one of them, that you're pioneering something. Yeah. You're going out there and you're like, okay, well, I guess I need to like fundraise is that what happened I mean, yeah. yeah is that what i do yeah it's right i i had no idea what i was doing so i was like okay well i guess like i should run a business the same way i run my personal finances if i don't right. have money i can't buy anything so right. i better make money so that i can buy the things i need to keep going i get asked by people all the time hey i'm interested in starting a brewery can we talk and the first thing I say is, do you really want to start a brewery or do you want to make beer? Because they're two different things. Yeah. And one is a manufacturing business. Do you want to be in manufacturing business? I didn't know that when I got into the Ooh. brewing business, that it was a manufacturing business. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. For one thing, do you get that a lot where people say like, oh, I love coffee. I want to get in. Or I love beverages. I want to get in. I mean, I guess I wouldn't say a lot, but I definitely have had my share of, of people. There's two types of people who ask that question. There's one type of person who just will email you and say something to the effect of like, where do you get your bottles? Where do mm -hmm. you get your labels? Right. Where do you do this? Where do you do that? How do you do this? Oh right. my gosh. If I had a dollar for how many people have asked me how we do something. Yeah. And let me also tell you, 
we have literally had people from large multinational corporations reach out to us pretending that they are an individual asking us how we do what we do. And the funny thing is they either like don't change their signature or (laughs) a a Unilever company. There's also some like ridiculous thing that they forgot to do. And I'll say this because I don't really give a shit. The amount of products that we ship to the Nestle R&D facility is nuts. They order it through our website. They order it as an individual. Yeah. And they're breaking (laughs) it down molecularly, by the way. They literally are. And I, I, honest to God, I had somebody who used to work at Nestle come up to me and be like, oh my God we love your stuff and we try to figure it out all the time. And I was like, <laughs> that's not what I'm wanting. Do not tell me that. Like, We're trying to yes, destroy you. I know. Like I have figured this out. Yes. But at the same time, like you can try all you want. Yeah. You are never going to be able to do it how we do yeah. it. Yeah. I love that. And it's just so hilarious to me. So you've got a bunch of different people. Then you do have some people who you can just tell they're approaching the whole thing differently mm-hmm. where they kind of you know send you an email and they're just like i've been reading about this and this is you know a little bit of my thought on this i'm interested in starting something like this is there something you can tell me you know it's just so different and you can tell then it's the people who are sending emails like the latter who are the ones who are likely going to make it because they're already willing to put in some of the work, at least some of the work on their own, as opposed yeah, to yeah. just emailing and be like, where do you do this? How do you do this? What's this? What's that? Like, and quite honestly, like that doesn't make me interested in wanting to help. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, you know, I think for me, I have really learned, I think really probably in the past couple of years to be much, much more protective of my time. Yeah. I used to just give anybody any amount of time. Yeah. And I realized that A, that wasn't great. Um, but B, I was like, I I have an opportunity here to really be a part of something that can instru- be instrumental in changing, you know, kind of the, the, the paradigm. And so I have committed to only um, helping women entrepreneurs. Yep. And I will, I, I really basically cut it off at 20 minutes Yeah. and it gives me, you know, kind of five minutes to sort of just prep at the beginning, five minutes to prep, you know, just kind of like deflate at the end and kind of reorient my own day. But in that 20 minutes, that person needs to come to the table with three burning questions that they have. Yeah. And that's it. Productive conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Productive conversation. And I, it's funny because <laughs> Like, I still feel like when I, you know, reach out to mentors or, or even like our board, yeah, I turn into like basically what I'm doing now where I just will like ramble and I'll just like any thought that I have, I just want to speak it out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing the same thing to these people that I have really tried to change and not let people do to me. And so now I'm kind of shifting and being like, oh yeah, like I have to remember that. Like I, I. I feel like in those instances, I'm like, my God, I'm just being like a taker, taker, taker. And I'm not being thoughtful and empathetic to to those people and sympathetic to their time yeah. when I know how much time it takes. 
But at least with a board, the job, the board's job is to help the CEO, right? So yes, <laughs> it is, it is. But there are still times when you know that they also have other obligations and yeah. you have to have sympathy and empathy for that as well. So you do indeed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, to me, this is a really rich conversation and I, and I, at least for me, I'm really relating to it because I've been through it a number of times. And I think of the, you know, the whole entrepreneur thing to me, I don't think of myself as an entrepreneur at all. And people call me that and I kind of laugh and go, I'll accept the, I'll accept <laughs> the little moniker, but like in my head, I'm not a, but how would you find yourself? Yeah. Someone described me once. I thought the best description that I heard was, oh, you have a bias towards action. Like you tend to act versus just talking about it and you do yeah. stuff. And I do stuff and it, half of it doesn't work and all that stuff. But I thought that was like, that's a better definition than entrepreneur, at least for me. Yeah, I love that. Well, and if you're like me, you know, I I want to cross shit off of a list all yeah. the time. Yeah. And so that probably really resonates too, because it makes you feel good. You know, if somebody notices that you're a person who takes action, that's likely something you know, that really speaks to you. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I think that's really what it is because a lot of the stuff that I take action on, I don't make any money on it. I don't, it's yeah. not, a, it's not about money at all. It's because it's a creative pursuit. It's a, whatever it is. Yeah. I've spent the last, I think eight or nine Sundays making an EP with a friend of mine. We're putting a record out and it's like, it, it's totally fun. But yeah. it's eight hours every Sunday, you know, it's like I haven't had a Sunday off in a while. And the thing I know about you and, and by reputation, you just have a motor, you know, <laughs> you got a motor on you. And, and it's like, that's why everything works. And you've got a motor and passion and an idea. And you've, you know, one of the things that I really love that I'd like to get into a little bit is we talk a lot about purpose brands. And yeah. do you think of yourself as a purpose brand? I, I love this question, first of all, because. I think that um, I think my exposure to purpose-driven brands has been the big P, little P purpose yeah. that you often yeah. talk about. Yeah, and often experience where the big P purpose and the little P purpose are just stepping on each other's toes. Yep. So to me, I've always kind of seen Slingshot as what do we have the opportunity to impact that's in our wheelhouse? Yeah. Because I feel like the minute we try to step outside of our wheelhouse, the minute we try to essentially do something that we don't really know how to do, we can't be impactful. Yeah. It's always kind of been my position that, you know, we will always be a brand that stands for something. Yeah. But we also may do that in a way that plays a supporting role. And I mean that to say maybe we are just going to be what fuels the people who actually know how to do the work. Yeah. And when there's somebody out there or a group of people out there that you know needs to be standing in the street protesting, whether yeah. it's somebody who needs to be getting people, a group of people to vote, what, you know, whatever that happens to be, they're going to need some hydration. They're going to need some fuel. And maybe it's our job to actually just do that. Maybe it's our job to support them 
because they're the ones who actually know how to do the work and how to be impactful. Yeah. And a lot of times I feel like it's just kind of, you know, one of those too many hands in the cookie jar situation where it just becomes really messy if you have people in there who don't know what they're doing. The people who do then have to stop what they're doing, redirect somebody else. It, It can be just such a counterproductive experience. And so for us, you know, when I think about purpose for Slingshot, I think that it it has a lot of different levels, you know? So when I kind of define purpose for us, I think this is deliciously fun beverages that Mm -hmm. are with intention, innovation, and care for the supply chain, for the planet, and for our fans. Right. That's sort of how I, I envision our purpose. And I think that it can be really hard, especially now when a lot of people, a lot of the general public, I think, defines purpose as a big P purpose. It's the big mistake everybody makes is exceeding the, you you said it really well, you're exceeding the grasp of what the brand's able to do. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I I think there's, um, I think one of the things that I have learned the most maybe not the most, but one of the things I've certainly learned about being a business owner is the concept of counterproductivity. Yeah. And I think that it's just so easy to set yourself back. It's so easy to, to want to tackle everything, to be everything to everyone. Yeah. Because you are also a lot of times operating in a very heightened state. You know, it's feast or famine. And that can just be a very disastrous place, I think, to be. This conversation has been amazing. (laughs) We're going to stop here and call it the end of part one. Cool? Yeah. This is the end of part one of Brands in Action and our conversation with Jenny Bonchak. Tune in next time for part two. Today's show has been brought to you by Pony Source Brewing, who reminds you with our Lieutenant Governor's Fund for the Fabulous, don't be mean to people. Go to funforthefabulous.love for more info. Pony Source Brewing, drink about it. If you're digging the show, please give us a review and a like. It really does make a difference. Production help by Nathan Nichols, editing by Sarah Voorhees Wendell, executive production by Alexa Engel, and music by Medium Heat. All other help from your friendly neighborhood Baldwin app.